Hello, humans. Welcome to Ish Matters, where I talk about things that matter, from mental health to politics to current issues. I'll be drawing upon very personal experiences, academia, and a diverse selection of opinions to create these sometimes hard and uncomfortable podcasts. Because I believe it's through discomfort that we grow and discover. So get comfortable. We're about to get uncomfortable. Hello, beautiful people. Welcome back to my podcast, Ish Matters. I'm Rania Salah, and today is a very special episode. I feel like I say that about every episode, but really this time, we have two special guests, and we're here to talk about the fitness industry, eating disorders, media consumption, and more. And the reason this is so special is because I'm finally getting a male perspective on it all, and also a female perspective, and so I will let my guests introduce themselves go for it. Yeah, hi, I'm Emma. I'm a freshman at American University and... Uh, I'm Donato and I'm a sophomore at American University. Yeah, we're excited to be here today. Thank you for having us. Thanks for coming. Okay, let's jump right into it. Um, let's start with you, Connor. Uh, this is Connor, by the way. <laughs> oh, Connor, Emma, don't worry about it. Either is fine. Okay, um, Connor, Emma. Let's let's pick one so I can refer to okay, you. Okay, we'll go with Connor. Connor, Connor's awesome, fine. awesome. Okay, so tell us about kind of your journey in the fitness industry or disordered eating, how that manifested, how it evolved. Just a quick overview of your experience with the fitness industry. Yeah, so I have always been like an active person. I played a lot of sports in middle school and high school, um, and I think that's where it all began. I would compare myself to what the other athletes would look like. I compared myself to social media athletes and then I was having um, pressures from my family as well to look a certain way. So when I was in middle school, I developed anorexia nervosa disorder. Um, I found myself skipping lots of meals or eating less to look a certain way because I've always had a slightly larger build. But then this became more and more intense as I reached high school um, when I started really developing and hitting puberty. Um, Specifically in my sophomore year, I picked up cross country and I didn't look like the other cross country girls. So I not only had um, anorexia, but I began to um, also be bulimic. Um, So I was throwing up most of the meals that I was eating. Um, I also was vegetarian at the time, which was a way for me to restrict my eating even more and eat as minimal as I could to be as skinny as I could be. And yet I still wasn't looking like the other girls were. Um, Eventually I stopped doing running sports and I became more about swimming and those girls were larger. So I felt more comfortable in my body. Um, I started eating again, and um, then I transitioned into weightlifting, and this is an entirely different um, body makeup. Um, There's two different types of weightlifting. For those of you who don't know, you can do um, powerlifting or bodybuilding. Um, When it comes to powerlifting, you kind of want to get as big as you can to lift as heavy a weight as you can, whereas bodybuilding, you're going to bulk up and then restrict your eating for a specific amount of weeks. Sometimes it's about 16, and you get as lean as possible, and essentially you lose about 30 to sometimes 40 pounds in that 16 weeks. 
Um, so I've struggled with wanting to do both of them and I'm considering doing a bodybuilding competition, but I'm worried about restricting my eating again because of that. Um, but weightlifting has changed my perspective um, with myself in a huge way because I have embraced my body and the way that it looks and I've gotten a lot larger. I've gained about 30 pounds since I started weightlifting and it's been nothing but um, a good transformation for me. Awesome. That's wonderful. Um, before I ask you a lot of questions about that, because I have money, I'm going to let Donato quickly introduce himself as well. Uh, sure. So like my uh, life with fitness? Or... Yes. Okay. So um, growing up, I always played a lot of sports, specifically soccer. Um, and throughout my like younger life, I guess I didn't really uh, think too much about like what I ate and how it um, affected my weight, but I started uh, doing weightlifting about a year and a half ago, and um, since then my relationship with food has changed a lot in that I've kind of learned how to use food to manipulate the way I like feel and look, so I've purposely like uh, eaten a lot over the past year and a half to uh, gain weight, um, and I'd say that it's been uh, pretty healthy for me, fortunately, um, but yeah, that's that's where I'm at now. Uh, I've been doing this for about a year and a half. Um, yeah. When you say eat more, are you referring to kind of like a binge eating type of eating or just mechanically adding more ca calories and it didn't feel like a binge? Like, did you have to override your hunger cues to do that? Yeah, so um, in the beginning, especially when your body's not used to eating that amount of food, you do kind of have to eat past the point of hunger and it's not like, I don't know, most of the I'd say about half the meals I eat aren't out of hunger, and it's just so that I can uh, pursue like my goals in terms of strength and physique. Um, but your body does adjust, so I'd say after like weeks of like kind of, I guess forcefully eating more than you would want to, you begin to like want that amount of food. Okay, we'll come back to you with a lot of questions. Back sure. to you, Connor. Okay. You said um, there was a lot of family pressure and that you developed anorexia at a very young age and started skipping meals. Can you tell me about where that came from? I mean, everybody has a kind of source that prompts them. How did you find out that skipping meals would make you lose weight? What kind of family pressure existed around being smaller? Yeah, so it came from both of my parents, actually. Um, my father would often comment on my eating. I've always been a fast eater. And there were often times where he would tell me that he was disgusted with the way that I would eat wow. food and um, that he could not watch me eat. Sometimes he would leave restaurants, for example, because I was eating too quickly for his liking. Um, and he said it came from the fact that he grew up with people who were overweight and like didn't want to see me. Be overweight mm, that's um, internalized fat phobia right there mm -hmm, yeah yeah and then um on my mother's side she's very skinny build and doesn't eat very much at all she has a or she has a low metabolism or claims to have low metabolism and um makes comments on her own body and i never looked the way that she does so i internalize that as well if she doesn't think she looks pretty then i possibly could not be yeah that makes a lot of sense it's all internalizing things and um, you started skipping meals and you mentioned that you switched to bulimia. What prompted that change? Um, that 
was because I learned that I could eat more food and feel full, but I could throw it all right back up and not absorb all of the calories. Um, not eating food was hard for me because everyone likes to eat yeah. at some point. Um, and when you throw it up, you still feel completely full and yeah. you get to eat something. Um, so it just felt like a cheat or like a hack to yeah. the system. That's funny. Bulimia, bulimics say it's a cheat and anorexics call bulimics the failed anorexics, which yeah. is a funny, weird thing in the hierarchy of eating disorders. Um, but tell me about, do you remember, do you have like a vivid memory of the first time you ever purged or you felt like, whoa, this could be a thing? Um, and how that happened? I do remember, actually. Um, and it came honestly not on purpose. I had binged, which was also something I still kind of struggle with. Um, I had binged a lot of unhealthy food and I felt really, really guilty about it. And I was like, oh, I feel like I'm going to throw up. And I was like, well, if I feel like I'm going to throw up, I may as well just like make it happen sooner. And so I made myself throw up and it felt so good. Mm. And um, I was like, oh my gosh, like I just threw up everything, but I'm still like full and I feel satisfied from the meal I ate. Like, oh no, like I knew right then that it was going to be a problem for many many more times to come yeah I completely relate to that <laughs> I remember my first time was exactly like yours I had binged which is something again I also still struggle with and had struggled with after trying to recover from anorexia because it's like when I started eating in anorexia recovery it was like it opened the floodgates to extreme hunger which is a medical term I was experiencing extreme hunger um, and I remember one day I just felt like I was going to throw up from the amount of food I was going to eat. And then I was like, also might as well just do it now. And once I did it, like you said, there's this high and it's like this rush. And we're not glorifying bulimia here, but it is this rush and this high that lasts a pretty long time. And you do feel full. And obviously then you experience the crash and the the dangerous consequences of bulimia, but I completely understand that. Yeah. Did you find that anyone in your social circle was struggling with eating disorders, and how did that affect your mindset surrounding it? Um, okay, well, I'm sorry, Mom, if you listen to this, but my mom had told me that she struggled with it in high school, mm. and I think that actually gave me the idea to do it. Um, but no, no one around me did it. Personally. Were you very secretive? about it um yeah I don't think many people knew about it at all when it was happening all right before we get into your recovery story um let's talk to you Donato so you said you've experienced this kind of fitness journey in a very healthy way do you ever feel like at points it became unhealthy or maybe your aside from your habits and your eating do you feel like your mindset around your body became a little bit more unhealthy yeah, I mean, I never really thought much about the way I looked until I started my fitness journey. Um, it's kind of interesting as you start to like make progress, you start to notice imperfections and flaws and anything that you didn't actually see before. Um, in terms of eating, I'd say it was a bit of a struggle in the beginning because I wasn't used to it. Um, so like I said, like I would you know eat more than I was hungry for in order to like gain weight. And in the beginning that was tough because there would be days where I'd eat a lot, and then the next day I'd wake up and be like, ooh, like, I didn't really like that. I don't, like, it didn't make me feel good. So then I wouldn't eat as much that day, and then the next day I'd be like, okay, but I'm trying to gain weight, so I do have to eat more. And so that was a bit of a struggle in the beginning. 
Um, I do think I found a balance with it, though, however. Um, but that certainly was a struggle in the beginning. So what prompted this journey for you? I mean, was it seeing men on social media? I mean, why were you going through the struggle of pushing yourself to get bigger? What was the desire for getting bigger? Um, yeah, I certainly think social media plays a role. Um, I had started weightlifting and I was like very skinny when I started, so I felt smaller than like everyone at the gym or everyone that I would see uh, working out on social media. But um, I do think it's also something that I wanted, like innately I did want to be bigger, um, but I, I do think it was influenced in part by social media as well. Can I say off the record, did you want to talk about like how many meals you eat a day and how you like yeah, literally I'm, I'm like willing to talk about yeah. any of it. Go okay. for it. Um, okay, so I guess when I started when I decided that I wanted to like bulk up and get bigger, the best way to do that is just multiple meals a day. So I would eat about five to six. I still do uh, eat this many meals a day. Um, and in the beginning, it was pretty difficult because it's very expensive to do that. Mm. Um, so one of the ways that I would achieve this in the beginning, like this is about like a year and a half ago, uh, was through nuts because they're very high in calories. So about three days a week, I would eat like an entire bag of nuts at night, which is about 3,000 calories in a bag. Um, and quite frankly, that did not feel good. <laughs> oh, I know. I've binged on nuts before. <laughs> yeah. Um, it would definitely be past the... I guess that... That might be binge eating because it would be past the point of hunger and to the point where I generally, well, I don't know, I'd be close to finishing the bag. So I'm like, all right, at this point, like, I might as well just finish it. And then the next day I'd be like, wow, like, I just ate, like, 6,000 calories yesterday. Like, I, I need to not do that. And then the next day I'd be like, okay, but I do want to do that to get bigger. So it was a bit of a struggle. Yeah, I hear, like, a, an internal battle between yeah. how you're feeling and what you want. Definitely. But I want to I want to get to the root cause of this want um, and maybe, Connor, you can jump in about what the social media we consume does to us and how that impacts our desires and our perceptions of norms. Um, because, I mean, the greatest thing that impacts young people is perceived norms. So if you're seeing one thing again and again and again that impacts you and you think it's your desire, but maybe it's not really coming from you, it's coming from what people not tell you you should look like, but make it seem like that is the norm. So I, I want to explore the social media world over here. Yeah, let's do it. Um, so I think social media, mainstream media, promotes um, the Bella Hadid body type, which is the tall, skinny, very skinny um, girls who are not even necessarily muscular, but they're almost like they're toned in a way because of how skinny they are mm. and um, if you scroll through a Pinterest feed you're going to see these women um, everywhere and we even have like uh, what's it, Brandy Melville um, like the one-size-fits-all store that's uh. specifically tailored towards the Bella Hadid body type um, and so for a really long time I wanted to look like that as soon as I started weightlifting, um, TikTok listens to you, and I started seeing, I became, or I found myself on gym talk is what it's called, and you see a plethora of weightlifters and bodybuilders, and my entire um, idealization of what a woman should look like changed, like, like that, and I, these women are so 
incredibly lean but so muscular and large and I was like I look nothing like this but I want to look exactly like that and I defined my worth on how close I could get to that and I didn't feel good if I didn't look anything like that. I mean the danger with that is they don't even look like that (laughs) so you're trying to achieve this look that doesn't actually exist because if we think of at least female fitness influencers they're sucking in they're editing they're posing in very 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 specific ways um they are getting plastic surgeries they have personal trainers to work with them every single day and maybe cooks to cook for them every single day and I mean, the surgeries and the hormones and that kind of stuff. So I want you to give us your take on, you know, do these social media influencers have like an ethical or moral responsibility to say, hey, I edited this picture or hey, uh, actually, I did get plastic surgery. And for male uh, fitness influencers to be like, hey, I'm on HRTs, I'm on testosterone because that's a lot more common than we think it is. And we're looking at these things and they're trying to sell us this workout plan and this diet plan. And when we never look like them, we feel like failures, when in reality, they don't even look like them. And if they do, there's some there's some kind of trick that they're using, whether it be hormones or surgery or edits or stuff like that. Yeah, um, it's hard because I go back and forth, right? Like, does someone need to disclose whether or not they got a specific surgery or not? But when it comes to editing, I think we do owe a responsibility to say like, yes, I do edit my photos. I don't know if you have to say each and every photo is edited and where and how, but I don't think we should be promoting these images, especially if you're gonna be selling some sort Mm -hmm. of program to say like, you can look like this and it's not, and it's an altered photo. I think that's absurd and it's setting these extremely unrealistic body types for everyone. I mean, I'm still consuming these and I don't know what's real and what's not. Still today, our editing software is only getting better and better. And I think it can be really, really damaging. Yeah. I was listening to a podcast episode a few days ago and the number for photos on Instagram of the percent of them that is edited is more than 70%. So more than 70% are edited in some way, shape, or form. Now, that's not to mean that it's like edited drastically, but in some way, shape, or form, 70% of images have been edited. And I know I edit my pictures in terms of like filters and stuff. I don't know how to do the fancy like make your butt bigger, but you know, (laughs) these things do occur. And so for the male fitness industry, I want to jump to you. Do you think they have a moral responsibility um, to disclose if they're on HRTs or testosterone? Uh, I definitely think they do, um, and I think it's kind of a big problem. A lot more of, uh, like, there's a large percentage of gym goers that do take testosterone or other forms of, like, anabolic steroids, for example, and then they'll post on social media and they'll be lifting absurd weights or they'll be, like, displaying uh, a physique that's not attainable uh, naturally, for example, and a lot of them will just lie about it and claim that they are natural or that they have just been training super hard or something because they don't want their work to be discredited. But I think that's very damaging because I think that leads a lot of people to chase something that they'll never achieve. Um, So I do think that they have a moral responsibility to disclose that. Yeah, I mean that chase. And do you feel like you're ever a part of that? Like, do you sometimes, you know, finish a binge of a bag of nuts, okay, and you're just sitting there uncomfortable, and do you ever go like, what am I doing this for? 
why am I trying so hard to get big as fast as I can? Or what is this? Where is it coming from? You said you wanted to be bigger, but is that coming from you? Or is it coming from you feel like that is the only way to be masculine and attractive and desirable? I don't doubt that there's a lot of influence from social media and from the way, um, I don't know, masculinity is portrayed. It, it's a struggle because I, I do feel like that is what I want for myself. Mm. But I, um, I definitely think that there's a lot of influence from outside sources and even from like movies and shows and things Absolutely. like that, not just like social media. You know, the portrayal of like a big, strong, like muscular man, stuff like that. And the small, dainty woman. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it goes both right. ways. Yeah. Do I have your permission to talk about like how I see your eating effects? You yeah, yeah you day can day? say anything. Um, so as yes, um, so I watched Donato and his relationship with food as I spend a lot of time with him, and I see that you start to get panicky when you don't get to have your six to eight meals a day you I think base some of your self-worth off of whether or not you get that meal in and and then when you do get to like we have this unlimited dining hall of food TDR TDR <laughs> so good um you eat like four to five full plates of food and after like your second one you take these really big deep breaths like and then you like continue to force feed yourself you can tell you've already hit your maximum my body doesn't want any more food after about two I think there's also an effect where if I like miss a meal for example I feel like I have to like eat twice as much the next meal or like kind of catch up on like amount of calories consumed or something like that does that consume you do you think of it? Does it take up a lot of space in your brain? I would say I do base a lot of my days around like eating and the gym, yeah. Yeah. What about you? Do you think that you noticing all of this about Donato is kind of you not projecting, but also because you are struggling with very similar things? Yeah, I think he is the exact opposite of me, whereas I'm still trying to restrict my eating. Right. Um, because I want to be more lean. Um, I'm not in a bulking stage. I'm not necessarily cutting calories at this point in time, but I do try to eat um, only until my hunger cues. And I don't want to eat past that point, although I frequently fail to do so. Um, well, because <laughs> where there's push, there's pull, and where there's pull, there's push. So if you're restricting, you're going to inevitably break and binge eat at some point. Mm -hmm. That's just your body's way of telling you to stop fucking with it. Yeah. But um, <laughs> I completely understand that. And I think the reason I asked you that is because I actually struggle with that a lot. And so because I still struggle with some kind of guilt or restriction around like recovering and weight gain i will often just notice these things in other people so much that it like consumes my day it's like i don't i shouldn't give a shit about what you're eating but i do um and that's probably coming from like a scarcity mentality and stuff like that but speaking of hunger cues i want to talk about the effect of restriction and or binging on your sleep your hunger and your sex drive, and your mood, and your body temperature. 
because I know all of these things have fucked with me and made my life a living hell. So, you guys talk about it. Yeah, I think you should start. Uh, okay, sure. Um, I definitely notice how food affects body temperature uh, as well as sleep and uh, energy levels as well. Mood. Mood, yeah, definitely. Um, so since I try to eat a lot of meals a day, um, I'll typically eat like a large meal before going to sleep. Um, and that can definitely impact uh, sleep quality. Um, I mean, naturally, if you're like digesting right before going to sleep, you know, especially if it's like a lot of food or maybe food that's not of the highest quality, it can upset your stomach and that can be a whole mess. And then I also certainly notice uh, its effects in body temperature. I think specifically eating meat, specifically red meat. Ah, the sweats. Yes, precisely. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, that definitely uh, elevates my body temperature uh, yeah. throughout the day. What about sex drive? Uh, I don't notice how much eating a lot impacts my sex drive. I mean, obviously, if you're like really full, it doesn't put you in the mood. Mm -hmm. But I haven't I haven't noticed much of a difference since before eating the way I do. Interesting. What about you? Um, when I am eating not enough, I'm cold. When I eat too much, I'm hot. Um, I am in just in the worst mood ever when I'm hungry. I have seriously bad hangry. Um, I can't think of a good way to put this. I'm just so hangry mm. when I'm not eating. Um, I love to be comfortable and feel full, um, but I don't feel good about myself when I feel full. So it's this push-pull. It's like, which one do I want to feel? I, I don't know, it, I go back and forth all the time. Do you find yourself, when you finally kind of break um, and allow yourself to get to that level of fullness that you crave, do you find that it's only at night when the day's about to end? Yes, that is, I'm very good about eating the perfect amounts up until about dinner time. For example, yesterday we allowed ourselves a cheat meal and we got Chinese food and even saying that I'm like embarrassed, but I shouldn't be, it's just food. Anyway, we got like orange chicken and I ate the whole thing and I was so bloated and I made us go on a walk so I could like digest it properly, but I felt so sick for like three hours. Um, it, perhaps it was the quality of the food or whatnot, but I felt so guilty about it and I still do this morning. I woke up and I was like, why did I eat that for dinner? Like I could have had something else mm. and I forgot the question. <laughs> um, well, initially we were talking about the effect on mood, sleep, oh, sex yeah. drive. But then I asked you about um, do your binges often occur in the evening time? Yes, they always occur in the evening time. I never binge in the morning. Interesting. Yeah. That tends that tends to be the case for most people. Yeah. Um, you kind of have this like willpower, I want to call it, even though this language is we should get into language after I know, this. No, we should. <laughs> um, first of all, willpower is not a good word to use for denying yourself food. Um, but if we are going to use that word, most people have the willpower to eat good all day. And then when nighttime rolls around, you're like, fuck it, I'm hungry. Your decision making goes down because you've made so many decisions throughout the day. Your willpower dies down and you binge. But that binge is indicative that there is still restriction happening somewhere. And for my listeners, I know you've heard this before, but restriction is not just caloric restriction. 
it is mental restri restriction too. So you can be eating enough calories, but if you're like, I need to get my calories from a salad, but you really wanted a bagel, you're gonna think about that bagel all day, every day, maybe for a few weeks, and then one day when you eat a bagel, you're gonna eat 10 bagels, not one bagel. This is how it works. But back to effective <laughs> restriction. I feel I so see, called out. No, I am. this is me relating to you. I cannot tell you the amount of times I've tried to restrict something and then no, I just know, I'm like, you dumb bitch, you're gonna binge on it later. <laughs> you're going to binge on it later, just eat the damn bagel. And I brought up bagel as an example because it was a huge fear food. Even though I'd eat like everything else in the world, I'd be like, I can't have a bagel, but I can have six chocolate chip cookies, which makes yeah. no sense No, I get it, I get it. But yeah, um, and obviously when I got the bagel, I ate an insane amount of bagels, like the whole family sized bag of bagels. It was a good time. Um, but language, let's talk about language. Tell me why you chose the word cheat meal, because I am actually very opposed to using cheat days and cheat meals, because that just gives suggests the underlying message of some food is bad. Yeah. So talk about that. <clears throat> I actually love that point. I try not to describe any food as good or bad. However, I constantly do that, especially in my head. Um, that would all come from social media and outside influences. I don't think we ever labeled food as inherently good or bad or cheat meals, for example. There's, there's no such thing. It should be a balance. But I find myself doing that because I'm very restrictive in what I eat and it has to be like fruits and vegetables and whole sources. And as soon as I eat something that is not extremely healthy, I label it as a cheat meal. And you feel guilty. And I feel guilty about it, even though there should be a balance. Okay, Donato, do you ever, do you ever feel guilty after eating a certain food? Yes, I, um, I do frequently, honestly, and I, I think I've started to pay attention a lot more um, since I began weightlifting to like the effect of certain foods, and so if I'll have a meal that doesn't have a high amount of protein, for example, I won't be like happy with that meal, and if I ate something that filled me up but didn't like check off all these like boxes for like macronutrients for example then I'll feel guilty afterwards or like I shouldn't have done that. So question for you both. Is it this is this like the my fitness pal assessment? Um <laughs> <laughs> I would not say I go so extreme. I just make sure that I am eating my body weight and protein every day which is not an easy thing how do you to count do. how do you calculate that i check the protein which also makes me check the calories mm. it's a dangerous game to play yes do you use my fitness pal or some other tracking device i don't track like through an app or strictly like that but i i do i am aware of like how caloric and how much protein is in each meal i eat I mean, at this point, we're like human calculators, I assume. Yeah. But yeah, I get that. Um, no, it's dangerously close to my fitness pal. <laughs> it is. It is. You become my fitness pal, yeah. which is even worse. Yeah. Because you can't shut it off, can you? No. Um, question Do you ever feel anxious if you go to a restaurant without the calories or nutritional information? Oh, that's absurd. Oh, I'm <laughs> sure it is. Unheard of. <laughs> Yes, yes I do. Okay. I try to calculate it in my own head um, yeah. by looking at what's in this 
something. Like we got tacos the other night. And I was like, well, there's a specific amount of chicken and it's corn, not flour tortillas. So those have less calories. And like 100 calories for the oil they cook yeah, it in and yeah. the salt. And mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, okay. This all sounds like you both uh, struggle with eating disorders or at least disordered eating. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, I have a pressing question. Do you think that bodybuilding is just a manifestation of another eating disorder because it does offer you the control, the sense of restriction or control over what results will yield from what you eat, um, a sense of satisfaction, a sense of euphoria from, I guess, maybe over-exercising. And can we do bodybuilding in a healthy way in this day and age? So that's a, that's a double question question. Is bodybuilding a manifestation, another manifestation of your eating disorders, Connor? I know you didn't struggle with eating disorders, but do you think you can do it in a healthy way in this day and age? I think that for many, bodybuilding can be an outlet for disordered eating, but I don't think that it's inherently a manifestation of disordered eating. Okay. I think that it can be um, done properly. I do have an issue with like professional bodybuilding mm -hmm. and the way that works. Um, like. I mean, I'm just going to speak from like the uh, male perspective because yes, I know it's slightly please. different. <laughs> but like for men that bodybuild, for example, professionally, uh, the preparation that they have to do leading up to a competition is extremely unhealthy. Mm. Um, Tell the, us a little bit more about that. So I don't do this myself. I kind of just go to the gym for like, I don't know, for fun and for what I like. But I don't know if I'd say you go to the gym for fun. <laughs> <laughs> Just just for our listeners, um, we both go to the gym five to six days a week for uh, two plus hours, not including cardio, and watch everything we eat. So I just wanted to put that out there. Okay. It's fun, sure. but it's not for fun. <laughs> right. It's not for fun. Maybe it's fun because you're seeing results and that kind of gives you like, ah, I'm doing something. <laughs> um, but tell us tell us more about the, the bodybuilding world, why you think it's unhealthy, and then tell us why you think you're so different from it. So I think that the uh, professional bodybuilding world is unhealthy. Um, I was speaking of like the preparation they do before competition, for example, where they have to cut down, you mentioned this before, about like up to 50 pounds. Um, for men, I think it could be more. Yeah, it's, it's actually, yeah, I think it probably is more. Wow. Because um, what they'll do, all right, so like starting from scratch, right, they'll have like a bulking phase where they put on a ton of weight and a ton of muscle and then they'll cut it all down to get like as lean as possible, as shredded as possible. Is that the like egg white and yeah. cauliflower phase? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Okay. And they'll the eat like a, they'll a like cut out carbs the week before and then like load up the day, the night before, like weird things like that. And that puts them in a very weird space because that messes with your hormones. Yeah. Um, you can't really be happy when you're eating like a thousand less calories than you're supposed to. Absolutely. You're tired and your joints hurt so badly. And, you're and it's unhealthy. And very unhealthy. Right. And you have, I, I've heard a lot of bodybuilders say they have like no sex drive, no, and no even energy to socialize in general, period. Yeah, exactly. I mean, when you're cutting in that way, I... I'm pretty sure your testosterone levels drop like crazy, so that affects sex drive, mood, everything like that. I mean, confidence as well, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think that's definitely unhealthy. I mean, I think bodybuilding as a sport, you know, it portrays like it's kind of like the pinnacle of health, these like huge muscular men, but it's quite like the opposite. Mm. Um, 
And then you asked how I think I'm different, and I guess that's probably some ego in there for sure. Mm -hmm. But I do like to believe that I do it differently in the sense that I don't, um, I don't cut down. Um, I don't. I mean, right now, I guess I'm choosing to eat more than I want to, which I guess is the opposite of restricting. I'm not sure. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> okay, think about it. Connor, you. Um, <laughs> do you think bodybuilding is a manifestation of your eating disorder? Um, yes and no. Um, I think in... I think we should remember that bodybuilding is in some form an art and it is so cool to see what the human body can do and look like objectively. Right. What it takes to get there and the type of person who can get there though is entirely different. And I don't know if I could do it in a healthy way. Yeah. I don't know if it would not make me um, really, really deeply recreate my eating disorders. Um, and I see a lot of people who didn't have them before develop binge eating directly post-show. Mm. Um, I love what the human body can do objectively. I think it's really, really cool to see what these women and men are capable of. But it does require an eating disorder to get there. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I do agree with that. Um, when I was trying to answer the question myself, I think that in this day and age, or even in general for what we define bodybuilding as, I don't think we can do it in a healthy way. Just the amount of, whenever you go against your body's natural cues, whether it be for sleep, strength, eating, hunger, whatever, there will be a pushback, a biological pushback. And it's very hard to come back from that. So. I'm going to ask you a personal question, but you don't have to answer it. We can just move on to the next one if you feel uncomfortable. Do you still struggle with binge eating? Yes, um, I binge eat a lot. Okay, but you said you're not majorly cutting right now. No, I don't cut. Um... So do you think that, one, either you think you're not cutting, but you're still eating in a deficit because you're over-exercising, or do you think that you've just created this habitual kind of sense to it where now it's become just a thing you want to do to self-soothe rather than out of biological necessity. I know it's a self-soothing thing and again it happens usually in dinner time and I always let myself have a dessert which is something that um, I think is also related to my binge eating because I'm not very good at having just one. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I still very much struggle with binge eating, um, but I've tried to change what it is that I'm binge eating so that it's less harmful. For example, I'll binge eat vegetables. Um, mm. And it's still like very soothing for me, but then I feel way less bad about it. Because the act of eating is soothing to you. Yeah. Okay. It is. I think it always has been. I've and I, I mentioned I'm a fast eater. Yeah. Um, and I don't know why it is so soothing. I haven't figured that one out yet, but I do know it makes me feel good. It's yeah. a coping mechanism for something. I mean, was did you live in an unstable home where the only source of stability was maybe food? Perhaps. 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 Except um, again, I got comments on my eating a lot in the home, so 
it's yeah. con it's confusing. I would often hide my binges at home. Mm. I would like sneak down to the kitchen at night and eat a ton of food. Yeah, was that a when it first started? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, where did that shame come from? Uh, my parents. Yeah. Okay. How about you, Donato? Did you ever have? I mean, what was food like when you were growing up? Did your parents just talk about food as good or bad, or were they very like healthy and giving you good meals, or was it kind of like let's drive by McDonald's, no big deal? So growing up, my family always ate very um, healthily, and my mom did always put an emphasis on making sure that we ate enough. Um, I think she wanted to combat the opposite. Um, I never felt. I don't know. I, I'm I'm fortunate enough that I think my mom encouraged me to always eat enough and would never, you know, chastise me for eating too much. Mm. Um, I do think that perhaps uh, eating unhealthily. I, I I think that part of the guilt in eating. Um, unhealthily maybe stemmed from that because of the emphasis on like healthy foods but I mean not to not not to a crazy extent okay interesting yeah my family we ate very very healthy mm. um, there was no processed food in my house up until a couple years ago because my brother actually can't eat fruits and vegetables it's a whole thing um, <laughs> but yeah my I definitely feel the guilt because of how healthy my my whole family was um, that it felt so unnatural for me to want to eat unhealthy yeah. foods. And I mean, maybe that's kind of where the comfort comes in. It's it's like this thing that has been restricted your whole life, and now you are an adult. You live away from your parents, and you have the freedom to go to the store and pick out whatever you want and bring it home and eat as much as it as you want and not have someone say anything about it yeah actually that's such a good point i remember um going to friends houses when i was young and they had all this processed unhealthy food mm. and i would just like gorge myself on it i would eat so much of it because no one would say anything about it and it was just there um but like in my house if we got unhealthy food we would get like one ice cream every two weeks or something I could not help myself I would eat the whole thing and then like it was a whole debacle right so I mean the restriction really didn't start with you restricting your food it started in your family they yeah. were restricting the types of food and for a child that's extremely detrimental um, I suppose so like going grocery shopping and such I would ask to have like this and this and like no well, you're not allowed to have that yeah I wasn't allowed to drink soda or things like that yeah so Mary, maybe there is a thing to your binge eating where it is self-soothing, but it's also kind of like this independence, this freedom, this shamelessness um, that is rooted in, in your family history, which is interesting. Guys, this is why therapy is really important. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay, we are getting up on time. Tell me, do you want to add anything? Do you think there is something we should discuss about media? Um, about disordered eating that we haven't touched on. I know you were very interested in media and the media we consume when we first spoke. Yeah, I wanted to talk about how we can continue to like be on social media. It's not going away right. and no one wants to get rid of it. So how do we like transform our relationships with it? How can I look at other women 
um, bodybuilding or lifting really heavy weights and not immediately feel bad about myself because there's something in that that's not even just about them. Like people are allowed to post their accomplishments. They should be posting the best things of themselves. And we need to learn how to interpret that not as because they're doing this, I'm inherently not as good as them. So then that's a you problem. Yeah. How easily are you triggered by things? Yeah. Um, therapy be the answer to that but I do think I do think I do think that no I on a real note I do think that social media influencers do have certain responsibilities especially if you've built a platform which I know you want to do someday and think about that if you build a platform down the line wouldn't you feel responsible because there are 13 10 year olds 13 year olds looking at you looking up to you and whatever you're putting out there is going to reach them um, but think on that for a second. Not so. Uh, <laughs> so how do you feel about social media as a male? Because I've heard a lot of female perspectives, but I want to know what it's like inside the brain of a man. I think it's, I think it's interesting. The other, the other thing I find interesting about social media is that um, the way these algorithms work. So let's say you start getting an interest in weightlifting, for example. That's all you will see mm. on your feeds. All you will see are like the best of the best, people lifting absurd weight, people that look insane. And it begins to become normalized. The like insane feats of strength begin to seem normal. So then you might feel inferior because you can't lift that weight or you don't look that way or you don't weigh that much and you know, look as lean, for example. Um, so, I mean, it, it, it's complicated because like Connor mentioned, uh, it makes sense for people to post their accomplishments and what they look best in and feel best in. Um, but I don't know. I, I do think there should be a way to avoid the normalization effect where, mm. you know, insane feats of strength, insane physiques are thought of as normal when they're far from it. I mean, when you're looking at like the top 1% of people, but that's all you see, so you think it's right. most people. That's, that's not only genetics, but it's also, I mean, most of them are probably taking some sort no, of supplementation. No, exactly, and it's, yeah. it's not exactly disclosed most of the time. Right. Um, I think it can be very harmful. Yeah, I'd like to say I think that I live in this world where I believe everyone does what I do. Like that's, I'm yeah. stuck in this loop because that's all I see on social media. Yeah. Does everyone not go to the gym two hours a day and lift really heavy weight? I don't. Like that's, I'm stuck here. Yeah. Like I truly think that everyone does this like in my head. You know, that's interesting because I feel like the exact opposite. I feel like everybody has it figured out and I'm just like this broken something and I just can't figure out the trick. That's what I feel like, because I look at all these women on social media and I'm like, God, they have some sort of secret that I'm just not getting here to look a certain way without having to do all of the things that I have done to look a certain way. <laughs> right? Oh, we get stuck in bubbles. <laughs> we get stuck in bubbles. Do you ever struggle with body dysmorphia? Donato, that's who I'm asking. To an extent. <laughs> um... I mean, I feel like there's always days where you look in the mirror and you don't like what you see. I, I do try to not indulge that and mm. kind of not look on those days. Um, I think that I, I don't know, I think a lot of people struggle with it and I hear a lot of people struggle with it a lot worse than I do. 
fortunately. Do you and your friends talk about things like this, like in the male community or, or your friends who go to the gym? Do you guys talk about these things? Yeah, I think a lot of men are uncomfortable talking about it. I certainly try to initiate the conversation more, but all my friends that weight lift, quite frankly, uh, they don't see themselves the way they should because they're comparing themselves to these top 1% people on social media who also don't display all their negative days and what it took them to get there and the dieting it took them to get there. So, you know, you have these people, my friends, for example, living normal lives who are trying to look good and they just don't think that they do because of what they're comparing themselves to. Interesting. What about you, Connor? Do you talk to your friends about, you know, body dysmorphia and disordered eating and binge eating? Um, I actually try not to talk about it with most people. But Donato knows um, that I struggle very seriously with body dysmorphia. Um, I have no idea what I look like. Yeah. Um, some days I'm too big, too small, um, big in the wrong places, too small in the other places. It's so strange. It actually blows my mind how even in 15 minutes I'll look completely different. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. I feel the exact same way. I mean, sometimes I look in the mirror in the morning and I'm like, you are huge. <laughs> and yeah. then I'll, I'll like get dressed to go to my mom's house who's going to critique how small I am. And then I'll finally see it. And I'm like, no, you're too small. Yeah. And, <laughs> and that uh, will affect yeah. the way I interact with people, the way I eat, what I eat, my mood for the day. Like if I wake up and I feel small, I'm already in a good mood. And it's crazy because if I wake up and feel big and the sun is out and everything's wonderful and my friends have all of these plans, I'll be in the shittiest fucking, I'll be a bitch the whole day. And it's absolutely crazy, but we need to talk about this more. I think we need to talk about it, but in a way that doesn't normalize it. And that's the struggle that I'm struggling with is I want to be out there on social media talking about it. But I don't want to normalize it because I saw that happen with mental illness where we finally broke the stigma and started talking about anxiety and depression. But then we flipped the other way and everybody's like, ah, ha ha ha, I have depression and anxiety. And we did the wrong thing. We normalized it. And so if you have any ideas before we end this episode about how we can bring this conversation to the table in a healthy way, in a safe way, without risking the normalization of it. Yeah, it's hard because it already is becoming normalized mm. in the gym talk world. Yeah. Um, I've made videos about it. I've made videos about having body dysmorphia in almost a joking way. Mm. And people are like, welcome to the world of like fitness. And wow. I don't know how we can make it not normalize. It's such a good question and one I wish I had an answer to. Well, think on it. Donato, any ideas? It's complicated because I really do think that it should be a conversation because I think it's something that everyone experiences to an extent. But once again, I mean, you brought up a very good point with how mental illness has become normalized. I'm not sure. Um, I do think that talking about it is an important step. Because even if it does become normalized, I think that at least it's brought into the conversation and that yeah. something can be started. Brought into the conversation in this way of this is a problem. 
Um, but I do get what you mean, Connor. I mean, I when I used to go to the gym a lot, which I do not anymore for various reasons, but when I used to go a lot, I'd hear these things in such a normal way. Um, and it was really heartbreaking because it would get to me. And as it does to many young people, it just gets to you. It's yeah. hard for it not to get to you. I almost feel this pressure to, like, it's weird if I didn't have it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like this is normal. You like, must not be doing it right yeah, now. If yeah, if you don't know how you look, like, then yeah. something's wrong. Yeah, if you can't sleep, if you have low mood, low body temperature, then yeah. are you even... Yeah, are you even trying? Are you, even are you trying? trying, really? Yeah. yeah. No, I get that, because I... There are so many times where I want to be like, I just want to love the way that I look, but... But, like, that's not normal. Like, I'm not no. supposed to do that. Right. Because then you'd be accepting yourself. Yeah. And then you'd be, almost feel like you're settling. Yeah. Right? Yes, the settling. Oh, that's such a good way to put it. Mm. It's yeah. weird. Yeah. Trust me. We've probably had all the same thoughts yeah. for many, many years. <laughs> all right. Well, this was a great episode. Uh, maybe we can do part two someday if we develop answers to the questions <laughs> we're asking. Such a um, but before we go, thank you so much for coming. Thank Tell us where my us. audience can find you guys. Yeah. So I have a fitness TikTok where I actually wanted to say this. I post videos of myself flexing and unflexing. So trigger warning. So Well, <laughs> I suppose it's a trigger warning, but I meant to do it as not that way. So you can see like more natural versus. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, so remove trigger warning. Yeah, I thought <laughs> it wasn't a trigger warning. Here, I'll show you an example. You can edit this part out. Where is it? No, I mean, oh, let's like, not edit this part out. Here, like. We can shape shit. Like, okay. I show, like, okay. the difference of, like, just sucking in versus not. It's such a difference. So, because this is a podcast and you can't see what's happening, um, this TikTok is very interesting, and I think it would be very helpful for you guys to see. You didn't give us your handle. Give us your handle. Oh, I didn't. Yes. Okay, so it's at Connor Fit, and I spell Connor, C-O-N-O-R. At Connor Fit. On TikTok. On TikTok. And then Instagram is Emma M. O'Connor. Okay. And I will write these in the description below. Don't worry about it. Uh, what about you, Donato? Uh, I suppose you can find me on Instagram at uh, donato.dabari. Okay. Well, thank you, guys. This was awesome. Thank no, you thank for you for having, having us. us. Yeah. This is such a good conversation. And I hope this resonates with somebody. It will. <laughs> it will. <laughs> I can see the demographics on my listeners, and they're all pretty much in this age range. So oh. they definitely will. Well, that is it for today. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I will link them down below and hope you all have a wonderful day. Until next time.